greater beings, gods, things that are beyond our comprehension. I guess those types of things also are in alignment with cryptids and other things in the unknown, things we just can't quite grasp without going beyond ourselves. Here's to explore this current story of, I work for the government rehabilitating ancient gods. What would that be like to try to touch something that is beyond us as mere mortals? So, here we begin. He told me I couldn't pronounce his name, so I called him Bob. You have to make fun where you can, and and, uh, when you find a job like this, and... Seeing the label Bob slowly applied to the two-story crate that contained his eldritch god was actually kind of funny. Whether Bob likes it or not, that's his title from onwards. As long as he's here, Tag Narcissus will only be known as Bob. The hissing emergence, the writhing insect mind, the burning hunger beneath the dark. All these are just now aliases appended to his file. Old handles for something that once dwelt in a pocket dimension 6,000 feet beneath the soil of a weathered plateau in western China. Now Bob is just one entry in a long, long list of things that have been categorized, organized, and itemized. He claims he was one of the elder gods who descended into Earth and helped craft a litany of life that burst out of the Cambrian. And he was once worshipped by a sub-race of humans, possibly the Denisovians. But I don't worship anything, let alone Bob. I get enough out of him to just finish the entry interview, but like all of them, he kept demanding worship and sacrifice. I think I'll give him a week alone, then have the guys roll his crate into the open play area where he can see the other primordial ancient gods at play. I know he senses them, the others. Most of them probably will leave him alone, probably for I, he doesn't try to bully them first. But we've got a few with real attitudes, and they like nothing more than picking on the new guy. I can sense the anxiety in him as he stood in his cage, pulsing rhythms of flesh rolling in non-Euclidean planes that made my eyes water and my visual cortex throb. I could tell he was uncomfortable. He knew there were bigger fish in the pond, and he's in for a rough ride once he meets them. The thing to remember with these guys is that they were hiding. They probably weren't that big a deal to begin with. It took a small army in three years to excavate Bob, but I think that says everything you need to know about him. Agatha. I like Agatha. She's old, she's wise, she's funny. To think we found her trapped in a cavern beneath Paris. She'd been stuck there for over a hundred million years. No stimulation, no entertainment. Nothing. One of the other ancient gods put her there, and she couldn't get out no matter how hard she tried, until we found her. First sign of Agatha came across my desk was a report of unusual drilling by a company hired to maintain Paris's sewage system. They inevitably encountered the catacombs, as you do, and through some complicated fuck-up, they punched the uh, whole undiscovered series of subterranean chambers. They weren't man-made and had nothing to do with the catacombs. Vast open spaces filled with glowing lichen and bone-colored stalactites that were three stories tall. A Vernian netherworld hidden beneath one of the city's world's most populated cities. They're still mapping it out, I believe, but that falls under another department. How it was missed, I'm not sure. Maybe others did discover it, but it took one look at the arcing, uh, aching darkness and turn around. That would be the sensible thing to do, for sure, but why those construction workers were rooting around down there, I'll never know. It was about as bad as a decision as anyone could make. I went in with the team three days after they disappeared, two guards and one assistant who couldn't shut up. More than once, my, the guard on my left flashed me a knowing look, a kind of Jim Halpert, oh boy here, here we go kind of look as the assistant voiced yet another naive inquiry. I rolled my eyes and let the guard and I share the moment. Two experienced agents who had found the newbie a little irritating. Those kind of routine social moments, basic human interactions, they're not my cup of tea but I've learned that it's not a bad thing to practice being normal some of the time. 
Still, the assistant yammered on blissfully unaware at just how much he was annoying everyone. I could have told him to stop, but I'm not an idiot. It's like that joke about the two hikers who see a bear, and one of them kneels down and starts to, to tie his laces. So his friend turns and says, what are you doing? You'll never outrun a bear. The guy replies, I don't have to. I just have to outrun you. Oh yeah, I let the assistant chat loudly as we tweaked, trek deeper into the caverns, our path lit by the eerie glow of the fluorescent lichen. What do you think we'll find down here, he asked. Like, if we do find an old one, like what type? Probably an ooze, I replied as I palmed the inscriptions on the wall. The torso-sized symbols had been burnt into the stone with what looked like acid. Like the last one you brought in, the assistant chirp, what was it called? The crawling shadow that dwells beneath our fears? I snorted. It's Alfie from now on, I said before holding up a finger to stop any further questions. I spotted a single point of light up ahead, flickering in and out of life, but so clearly visible in the cathanonic darkness that we reached it and found that it was a single head torch. Modern design and its batteries close to dying. Found our missing workers, one of the guards grumbled as he nudged with his foot. Without speaking, the two men armed their weapons. One slid into point, the other towards the rear. On my direction, we carried but picked up the pace to something less leisurely. I read the entire the entry interview for uh, Alfie, the nervous, uh, insistent nervously muttered. It said that it was the progenitor of all cephalopods. Is that true? I mean, it makes sense. They're so alien. I rolled my eyes. If I had a penny for every one of these fucking things that claimed to have invented octopuses, I, I'd i be a rich man. But it just makes sense. Their anatomy, especially their distributed central nervous system, it's completely different. Something lunged out of the darkness to our left. A hairless man clad in torn and dirty overalls. His gra- he growled like an animal as he tackled the assistant to the ground and buried his face in the young man's chest. This peculiar method of attack piqued my curiosity. And I watched with detached interest as two men writhed on the ground while my assistant squealed and cried in agony. Fight if it was a fight was going poorly for him. He kept trying to lever his bloody fingers in between the man's face, struggling to put the featureless head away from his chest. Eventually, his screams became uncomfortable, and I nodded to the oldest guard who shot the attacker effortlessly. Two hits to the torso, one to the side of the head. The exit wounds weren't typical. They were bloodless punctures like finger holes into a plastic wrap. The attacker still killed over, but his head remained stuck to the young man's chest like it had been glued there. The assistant kept on screaming, real ear-splitting shriek as he gestured futilely at his chest. Get it off! Get it off! It burns! I walked over and tried to roll the attacker off, but something had boned, bonded the, the uh, two men's skin. Another tug and nothing. Confused and mentally intrigued, I planted foot on the assistant's shoulder and pulled with everything I had. Without having to be told, two guards came over and helped. We both knew we were close when the assistant's squealing hysterics pitched to a crescendo and he passed out for a few fleeting seconds before coming to in total shock. He lay there whimpering as we finished the job, finally tearing the two men apart with a noise like a boot being pulled out of a deep mud. Finally apart, I saw the attacker's face wasn't a face at all. It was a fingerprint. The ridges dotted with little pea-sized orifices oozing a clear fluid that smoked and sizzled in open air. The assistant still lay where we'd left him, whimpering as he gingerly probed his ruined chest with quaking hands. The skin was dissolving before our very eyes. Even his stern began to wilt and sag like wet cardboard. You could see his heartbeat like something out of a cartoon. Oh, no, 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 he muttered as he gazed his own crumbling flesh. I nodded to the guard, and he shot him. I take it this is one of the workers, the guard asked as he nudged the attacker. His light caught an ID badge as he answered his own question, so I merely shrugged and gestured for us to to carry on. Half a mile later, we found Agatha playing with the rest of the workers. All of them looked like our attacker, with rubbery hairless heads resembling giant thumbs without nails. They crawled on hands and knees and used their boneless skulls to pin 
scuttling albino rats to the floor while they digested them alive. The rest of the time they lay propped against her I got those quivering ectoplasm, stroking the ridges of her own face of their own faces and emitting a muffled whine. Agatha and I spoke for a good while down there. It didn't really take much to get her to agree to the relocation to our facility. Whatever bindings held her in place were easily undone, and unlike Bob, there was no need for a crate. She was cooperative. We let her keep the workers she had gotten her feelers on, and with good behavior she later got her own studio. The other oozes think she's a teacher's pet and moan endlessly about her special treatment. They don't see what I see. I think it's because her creations don't factor in some ridiculous plan of world domination or the consumption of all life or some other self-aggrandizing shit like that. She's an artist. Those construction workers, she didn't reshape their bodies because she wanted worshippers. It was just that she'd never seen a fingerprint before and the intricate pattern struck her as beautiful. Everything she did after was simply an exploration of aesthetic and function. I mean, those men are still alive, vestigial mouths opening and closing behind a thick layer of leathery skin, their eyes withered and useless, forced to rely on their touch and sound to track their prey. Many of them have given up crawling desperate messages for us to reverse what Agatha did to them. As the years have gone, they've accepted their fate, gleefully gobbling up with medicinal waste we get thrown into their cages. A few have even given in to the new and peculiar reproductive cycle Agatha dreamed up for them. Imagine that a whole new self-sustaining species made for no other reason than whimsy. That's what I mean when, they, when I say that Agatha is an artist. I've talked a lot about the oozes. They're a good set of ancient gods to start with, but if I'm being honest, they're a, they're a little overhyped. Outside of Agatha, none of them really interest me. They're just single-celled organisms with projections into the 5th, 6th, and 7th dimensions that allow them to host biochemical reactions, otherwise impossible in real space. One of them, I'm pretty sure, is a skin cell shed by some passing cosmic monstrosity that visited our solar system a few billion years ago. Agatha confirmed the general direction of this theory, but it's a struggle to get any real details on what that thing might have been. Still, we have other eldritch abominations and ancient gods. Like, take Keith, for example. He's a strange one. It wasn't even that long ago that my newish assistant was asking about him. She glimpsed the face walking past the door and understandably was confused by the sight of an Asian male aged 30 wearing a checkered shirt and slim-fitting jeans and a polite smile. But why is this confinement still so stronger than the other, she said, after I explained that she just met a god named Keith. Or the Faraday cage built into the walls, I said. It's about a hundred and about another hundred technologies. He couldn't physically break out, of course, but it's important that he doesn't feed on the workers here. And that takes a little extra pizzazz. He's polite enough. Strange fellow, though. For one thing, I didn't name him. He picked Keith. Most people assume that was me, but no, he, he picked that one out. Feed, she repeated with a frown. What does he feed on? Generally, I find that the problem with assistants is he can't train them. Other, rather, there isn't any point. Even the most highly trained expert lasts less than five years under my supervision. So I often end up with people who have only a passing knowledge of the ancient gods, which is fine, of course. I'm not going to penalize anyone for ignorance. But the questions, good God, the questions. So I told her I let, to let Keith in, out and see for herself. And after that, I loaded her up with the relevant equipment and told her to shout on him for three weeks. And not to call me a second before the allotted time was over. She rang three weeks later. And much to my own amusement, she'd... Realized I'd forgotten about her. I'd even hired a new assistant to think I'd spent days avoiding accounts because they insisted our budgets were out of line. We had a good laugh about that. Anyway, I found that her, uh, she sat on some country room sobbing her eyes out. Keith was beside her wearing a priest outfit. His face was Caucasian, but it was slowly sliding back into his original appearance with each passing second. Keith's uh, default face is like a loose average of all humans currently being alive. Uh, there's a drumming little rhythm on his knees while... My assistant rocked back and forth, hyperventilating. How was it, I asked as I, as I knelt down in front of her. I don't, I don't. 
Oh, for goodness sake, I groaned and then gestured for my new assistant. He goes, have Psyche Val take a good look at her and if need be arranged for euthanasia. Grab her stuff, though. We're going to have to clean this up. The equipment she has will let us track the guy. Oh, all right, he stammered. But we have a god, we have a god, the god contained, don't we? He pointed at Keith, who was staring, starting to dance a little jig to his knee drum song. Keith isn't the problem, I said. It's whatever he's been, it's whoever he's been impersonating, a priest, I assume, from the outfit. Keith heard his name and gave me a wave and a nod. Keith likes identity, I said while returning the wave. He consumes a person's unique character from the collective consciousness of our species. He takes over their lives while they're basically erased from existence. The result is that the victim can't be recognized anymore, and neither can the consequences of their actions. If you talk to someone, they can't hear it, and if you take the food out of their hand, they'll think they ate it. Or if you steal the car, they'll think they never owned one. Can't even get sick because bacteria and viruses won't recognize your existence. The average person goes into a deep state of despair upon realizing this. Oh, my new assistant nodded. For about a week, and then they started to think about the moral implications of their action, I added. And that's when stuff gets nightmarishly dark, kind of stuff that warrants an A4 page of trigger warnings. I walked over to my weeping ex-assistant and nudged her with my foot. You, weren't able, you aren't able to tell us where you went, are you? I mean, you're here, so you must have been observing the guy close by. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't. Keith, what about you? Hi! I laughed. It was always worth a try, but Keith is as sapient as a coffee table. Gods aren't always smart. What about you? I asked my new assistant. You didn't happen to bring the map of the area. Actually, I did, sir. He chirped. There's a restaurant a few miles down the road. I shrugged while looking at the map he held open. I doubt that's it. Too many rows. Three quarters of all Keith's victims uh, die by car within the first week. This guy's gone 21 days, so he must have figured the basics out. There's a farm near, a little nearer, he replied. I shook my head. No, that doesn't sound right. If he wanted to bugger a sheep, he would have visited a petting zoo. We are in the middle of nowhere. There must be something there that would draw him here. Probably somewhere where he visited regularly as part of his day-to-day life as a priest. Oh, well, it seems if you're willing to cross a few open fields, there's a care home for the elderly some miles east. I let out a sigh that came deep from within my bones. That's the one, I said. Come on, let's go. Eighteen hours later, I was back in my office and Keith was locked up again. Unfortunately, I lost the new assistant, the new new assistant, to uh, clearing out the area of the care home. So it was two assistants I lost from just one bad decision. Poor guy couldn't hack hack it from what I saw in the first place. But what can I say? Why do people do so much fucked up Freudian stuff the second they realize they won't be held accountable? I don't know, but it doesn't speak volumes about our species character. Like I said, though, Keith's great, a great ancient god. Real compelling character. Best guess is to his origin that he's the equivalent from those camera drones they dress up as hippos and other dangerous animals to get footage for a documentary. He's pretty decent at impersonating a human, but five minutes of real conversation makes it apparent he's dumber than a bag of rocks. Does that mean that some greater entity is piling him from another dimension? Maybe. Just in theory. Whatever he is, he's polite, and I appreciate that in an eldritch god. We have other kinds of ancient gods and eldritch abominations. The machine ones are fun. Most of them are just massive piles of rustic cogs that vomit oil or blood or lead or lead into some ancient in-between dimension where everything looks like a shitty hotel. But some of them are really quite fascinating. A few are even legitimately dangerous. Our organic computer uh, unsettles me, though. It's wily, a genuinely fascinating piece of equipment that some German cobbler in 13th century Berlin made using the nervous system of his wife, three children, and four very unlucky prostitutes. What on earth compelled him to do this? We will never know. But he hanged himself the day it was finished, and I can't blame him. It was a bloody ugly thing to look at, a quivering mixture of putrefied jelly and cartilage that whispers all sorts of filth from mummified orifices. Oh, that, well, let's just say, 
make for a shitty conversation. It's bloody awful to see those puckered holes trying to spit out lurid truths about the drive men mad. It's like, listen, Elmer, F- Elmer Fudd recite the Necronomicon. And to top it all off, the fucking thing only speaks German. So, of course, I'd hire someone with German language skills who also has a doctorate in computer science, another doctorate in historical language, and what I hoped for was a strong constitution. Initially, he wasn't very keen on doing this part of the job, but I locked him in there for a few minutes, and after that, he was very interested. He already had a rough idea that the computer somehow deduced and formulated secret knowledge. It usually catered to the appeal of the nearest individual. The CIA worked with us for a while trying to get use out of it for state state secrets, but they deemed it was ethically problematic and not worth human suffering. Either way, this thing presumably spoke to the young upstart and convinced him it was worth his time to promises to see if a god's face or some rubbish like that. So once he agreed, I uh, I set it up to him and tried to get the computer to cooperate with the rehab program. It must be able to do something useful, I thought. Maybe it could crunch numbers for the stock market or test experimental medication. I just figured it would all work out once the guy got his grips with the computer's inner workings. Unfortunately, and I really do wish I'd seen this coming, we accidentally let him install the Ethernet port into the machine. I'd been asking for years, you see, but no one was ever stupid enough to agree to do it. And of course, all material requisitions have to go first by me, even if it's just for an extension cord. But there are so many of these requests, and I don't have the time for temperament to review all of them in detail. So somewhere along the line, this guy got enough resources to give him the damn thing internet access. I didn't notice at first. Nobody did. I mean, I'm juggling literally hundreds of these things on any given day, and I can't keep track of every little side project. I assumed the computer scientist was doing his job or he'd gotten careless and now living a new life as an organic CD-ROM drive. Instead, he'd given the monstrous little MacBook a hardware connection to the World Wide Web. And it immediately got into all sorts of mischief. Even now, we don't know everything it did. We are 99% certain it made copies of itself and we're still hunting those downs. And some research is connected to it into a very trouble cryptocurrency scheme. But it was the hospital. It's the hospital that stuck with, sticks with me. A little girl in New Delhi was getting fitted for a cochlear implant when the thing sh- snuck a neurolinguistic virus into the machine's firmware. If you're not familiar, those implants basically make for a direct connection between hearing aid and the human brain. Miraculous devices, really. A bit of surgery and boom, a person can hear. Of course, having your head cracked open requires a lot of rest, bed rest afterwards. Three weeks, I believe. All contact was lost with the hospital after the fourth day. We only mobilized once I finally realized what the fucking thing was trying to do. The connection is definitely severed. I remember asking the words as we pushed through the glass doors into the hospital's lobby. The entrance was barely a few seconds, but I could feel the entire battalion of armed soldiers behind us as we tensely and nervously stepped through. Only once the door was shut and locked down did I get the feeling that they'd relaxed. But that left my team and I on the other side of even... Though the new Nelly was scorching at that time of year, it was cold enough to see our breath. I guess the sudden change in temperature must have taken the others by surprise because I had to repeat my earlier question. We definitely got that computer off the internet, right? I asked as one particularly nervous hazmat suit fumbled for the temp tablet and nodded. The surgical team finished removing the port 16 hours ago, they said, and all other tests have shown that there were no redundancies or backups. Now they're asking what they should do with the computer scientists. What does that mean? He's still alive. He's um he's saying that he's in pain. I think they can remove him from the machine, but they're not sure he'll live. It's uh, apparently integrated itself with most of his nervous system. He was in there for six full weeks. I show my light across the lobby and, and, and saw overturned chairs lit only by the flashing amber lights that declared the hospital was in a state of emergency. Otherwise, the hospital is trapped in an oppressive darkness that seemed ready to swallow us all. Despite my experience, my breath caught in my throat. I could feel it. 
the ambient pain and misery. Something awful had been let loose, and not only if we were stuck in the building with it, but we had no choice but to head towards something that gave even me nightmares. Leave him, I said. It'll be a good reminder for the next guy I hire. When you negotiate with these things, you don't give them what they want without checking why they want it. I could hear the tension in my voice, my fear escaping whether I wanted to or not. The nervous figure nodded and tapped a few keys. I couldn't see their face, but I guess they weren't happy to realize their boss was prone to doling out literal lifetimes of unspeakable agony. At least the guards were a bit more focused. Eight of them armed to the teeth and all fairly experienced. They were painting the walls with their flashlights and slowly mapping the different ways in and out of the lobby. They had their own frequency, so I wouldn't be overwhelmed with every bit of chatter, but I could tell from the subtle bobbing of their heads that a lot was going back and forth. What's the plan, guys? I asked, not wanting to linger in that graveyard atmosphere one second longer. We have heat signatures and pediatrics. Survivors? My assistant asked. I doubt it, I said to my assistants before gesturing to the guards and telling them to pick a door. One of the men turned his weapon and its light towards the most obvious exit, and we began our journey into one of the most worst places I've been in. I've seen a lot of awful stuff, but it was the quiet that bothered me most about that place. Most sites I visit are violent eruption of body horror and contagious nightmares, communicable cancer that lumps people together like pieces of raw bread dough, contagious ideas that cause needles to spontaneously erupt out of your flesh, a hole in the ground that has no bottom but demands the most peculiar sacrifices. I took these sorts of things in stride, but those silent halls terrified me. Maybe it was because I had no inclination knew what the the computer's goals were. We passed the room after room, devoid of any living soul, and over time it became clear that there had been something of an exodus. Gurneys with bloodstains and bedpans knocked over, their contents half-streaked walls and beds and outlines of sweaty, unwell people who were nowhere to be found. At one point we found what I think was an open-heart surgery patient who had heeded the same terrible call as everyone else, including his surgeons who did not bother to close him up. He must have woken hours after everyone else late to the party, but that did not deter him. He rolled off the bed and crawled desperately. He didn't even remove the metal bar holding the rib cage open. He only got a few meters before dying. When I flipped him over with the foot, I saw his ribs displayed open like an ivory Venus flytrap, his organs covered in thin veneer of frost, dead as a doornail, his lips blue and eyes cloudy from ice, yet somehow he looked damn happy to be lying there in his own offal. I grimaced at the sight and tried to put it out of my mind, but the glee in his eyes still haunts me. How far from pediatrics, I asked the guards. It's one floor up, the guard replied. Are we still getting a heat signature? He nodded. The stairwell was full of random bits and pieces. Pencils, phones, shoes, washes, all manner of little things that people left behind as they rushed the door in a terrible crowd. I saw a few teeth, a few splatters of blood, and led to one place. Inside the corridor was a mess, just like the stairwell. Nearly a thousand people had converged on one doorway at the end, and among the paintings, along the way, they had been torn off the walls. Doors were put through so much strain they buckled and broke. There were even bloodied handprints on the ceiling from where the crowd hitting a bottleneck had surged upwards as well as sideways into the walls and through locked doors. They had flowed through the hospital like a flood. What can make people do this, my assistant asked as we started to spot the few first people whose bodies had you know, fallen and been unable to get back up. Crushed beneath the feet of the crowd, their corpses made for an ugly sight. Mostly they looked like they'd been elderly. But if the silver head matted into gore, it was anything to go by. But a few of them were too small to be anything other than children. The computer spent the last hundred years trying to speak to God, it said. I said, it's been screaming his name on and off for at least a few decades. Sometimes it cooks up a little side project for fun, but mostly it all comes back to one singular goal. 
I turned to the armed men behind me, tell the team outside to prep our facilities and teams for the Abraham procedure. There was a bustle of activity as each one reached for the radios and tablets and began sending messages. Once it had faded and silence returned, I gestured for us all to carry on. I wouldn't bother, I said, and I saw my assistants trying to take steps between the increasingly frequent corpses. It's only going to get worse. Oh, and it did. Until there was no floor to see, there was only a carpet of discolored gowns and broken humans. All of them victims of unseen compulsion drawing them towards these doors. Two of them, each with a window painted black, with blood and flesh. And just beyond lay our heat signature. Oh, it actually did it, didn't it? I muttered to myself as surprised as I suppressed a shiver. Pardon? My assistant asked. Come on, I said, trying to best to seem chippy and chirpy. Let's go speak to one of God's representatives. Inside was a little girl, paced like a tiger in a zoo. She didn't smile when she saw us, but she did stop and stare at us with eyes that could appear steel. Oh boy, I muttered, secretly glad no one could see the sweat pouring down my face. A survivor, my assistant asked, and wondered if he paid any attention to his surroundings. Much like outside this room, had been coated with what seemed to be a half foot of blood, meat, and muscle. Unlike outside, this flesh was still twitching. Nope, I said as I put a hand across his chest to stop him from rushing towards her. It isn't like me to intervene on his behalf. Someone who's a stupidity, but then again, I don't like losing leverage either. It's the girl, he said. The one with the implant that you identified. Nope, I repeated. His hands, he looked closer, perhaps to appreciate the absolutely monstrous expression of hatred painted on her face. That girl would have been the first to go, I said. Her head was used to emit sounds only they can hear. I gestured to the girl's shaped illusion that now resumed its pacing. A summoning for an angel, something anyone with half a brain would never do. But unfortunately, this summoning worked. And when the angel arrived and realized it had been caught in a trap, it would have smashed whatever was making that noise into pieces. And then it would have summoned every living human it could to try to figure out and find who was set to the bait. And for every person that couldn't help it, it would have gotten angrier and angrier and angrier. Until, my assistant asked, until someone arrived to inspect the trap. We could just let it go, he replied. The girl stopped pacing once more and looked at us. It would kill us if we were lucky, I said. I, I thought angels were good. These things are puppeteers, I said. They can play our nervous system like a fiddle and make us see and feel anything they want us to. They can make us take part and they can take us apart and put us back together again in any arrangement they feel like because whatever puts us on earth left them behind. So they could impregnate so they could impregnate unwitting teenagers, split the Red Sea, conjure whatever the other miracles were needed. They were meant to be our caretakers like we were meant to be caretakers of Earth. That sounds like the good guys. Think about how we've treated Earth, I snapped. Think about how we treat the birds and the animals. Think about industrial farming. Think about how we treat dogs, castration, sterilization. We breed them into disability, force them into incest, clip their ears, break their tails, euthanize them when it's convenient, breed them when it isn't, and they, I pointed to the girl, like us, a hell of a lot less than we like dogs. Let me go. I knew we'd been compromised the second I saw the girl, and it was a girl and not scuttling arachnid monstrosity larger than most cars. But I still jumped at the sound of that thing's voice. It meant it had a direct wiretap into our minds. Angels don't do wireless. Everything is physical. Somewhere in that room were organic filaments thinner than hair, but tougher than steel, and they already breached our suits. And were communicating directly with our brain stems. Uh, no, I replied. Letting you out means that my final moments will be painful. But you're weak, that much is clear. And we've been pumping all sorts of nasty stuff in this place for two days straight. And I'm pretty sure that what's... That's why I'm not trapped in a literal nightmare of eternal suffering and degradation. Let me go. We're open to negotiation, I said, with a cheerful stone tone stolen from the barista I visited early morning. 
For a second, the illusion flickered and out. The girl disappeared, and we all glimpsed at a bramble-like knot of chitinous, chitinous legs that concealed some unseen central mass. Only each limb was thick as a thigh and covered in undulating hairs and glistening black eyes. I felt an overwhelming desire to kneel. We will let you go, I said, if you allow us to go unharmed. We can shut the trap down. We have its creator and has shown us how, but we won't do that if it means you're going to kill us. The barrage of images it put in my head were as a response to say it made Keith's last victim look like a boy scout. Most eldritch abominations don't have feelings the way we understand them, but angels do. They were deliberately sculpted to understand us and our world so they could better manipulate it from the scenes. They're not alien. They're worse. They are jealous, spiteful, and capable of putting these emotions to work in an unprecedented scale. This is the kind of hatred that prompts invisible genocides over some misplaced tea. Whole ethnic groups have been permanently scrubbed from our history because of these things. I'm talking violent eyes and naturally blue hair. Gone. All gone. We don't even remember them. It's as if if it weren't for Agatha, neither would I. We could kill you, I said. You're not immortal. You're just a thing like us. Biological matter that can become undone just as easily. Not quite as easily. Your official designation by the others. You know the others, I replied. The blobs and the goat-footed breeders that go scuttling in dark places. The dwellers in the deep. The primordial oozes who are here long before you. They call you... Ixodita. After ticks. That's how they see you. You're a parasite like the kind of farmer has to protect his sheep from. That makes you livestock. Still. We're in an impasse, I said. You are dying. Even as I spoke, I could feel the facade of my plan starting to crumble. There was no easy out in this situation, and I'd entered it as terrified as to how I was going to make it work. Angels are a sophisticated species, and they would be deeply unhappy to know that a bunch of primitives had gotten the better of their own. I'd hoped to try for some kind of negotiating, but that had been like one of us negotiating with a stray dog that had bitten a child. No matter what happened, the angel died. If this angel died, and I could count on the others finding me. And that'd be the best case scenario. Living a day, or even a week, unfortunately, I, I didn't even get that far. Without even appearing to move, the angel unmade the guards. I've thought about this a lot. I believe me. There's no other way I can describe it to you. They were pulled apart in their disparate, disparate uh, tissues in a blink of an eye. A bloodless vivisection that struck the room like an explosion. Muscle, bone, eyes, teeth, skin, nerve endings. They were thrown against the walls and subsumed into the living carpet of flesh all around us. I had to suppress a whimper as I realized they were still alive, possibly even aware. Beside me, my assistant fell to his knees and began to weep. But I know that no amount of begging or praying would change the angel's intentions. We just had to hope it'd be relatively quick and that the consequences wouldn't be, uh... Your mind tastes awful, it boomed. The words I so loud that fell to my knees as willpower crumbled. Not like the others. How amusing. It has been so long since I bothered to keep a pet. It agreed to your terms. My boss has sat before, like, judges, three judges at a tribunal. A man who's two women... A man and two women with faces that looked like they'd been carved out of granite. The boardroom was supposed to be a professional environment where meetings could be had with other relevant departments, but in truth it just turned into the site of disciplinary meetings like this. Something like that, I replied. Why? one of them asked. He was younger than we thought, just a few hundred years old, and thankfully for us, something of a history buff. That's why he needed the signal from the hospital in the first place. Apparently the creator is something of a taboo topic in their culture. He was hoping to learn a little bit more about it all. He has been uh, thrilled to enter our organization from within and peruse our archives. And none of his, none of the others came looking for him, the man asked. No need. He is alive and well and enjoying himself, business as usual. 
There was a knock at the door, and I turned to see my assistant poking his head through. He waved and smiled as he showed me the tray of coffee he wanted to bring in. I smiled back and gave him a thumbs up. We were always led to believe that angels and other Abrahamic uh, abominations were not on the cards for this organization. Will he have trouble working out the, the program? One of my bosses pondered and asked as the young man placed a tray down and began to distribute drinks. Well, unlike others, they're actually well-versed in human mannerisms and our society. Not much rehabilitation to, rehabilitation to do, really. And of course, they can appear however they want, so long as they have the direct line of sight. I answered, and a lot of the time, they let our mind do the heavy work. We fill in necessary blanks. If they appear to be as a policeman, we'll see everything they need to do be in order to support that idea. Gun, badge, and so on. Ultimately, it's our own minds that make their disguises so convincing without them even having to move. And what are you calling him, this angel? Uriel. My boss's eyes went wide as a precise process of voice had been inserted directly into their mind. One by one, they lowered the drinks and turned to face my assistant. Even I, who had spent days with the walking nightmare, could not suppress a shiver. Sorry, he said, <clears throat> coughing before clearing his throat. Force a habit. I like Uriel. He told me I couldn't pronounce his name. I explained as my assistant stood behind me and placed a single hand on my shoulder. I tried to ignore the taste of copper mouth and the intense itch at the back of my neck. So I let him pick an appropriate and respectful alternative. Well, I guess we get an interesting uh, punctuation mark on all the assistance this man's leaving. He has lost through a lot of his own negligence and lack of care and guidance. But uh, interesting dive into... Monsters of a higher order of Eldritch levels, uh, godly angels and things like that. But, uh, of course, like many of us, seems Uriel's drawn by curiosity and learning. And that's usually uh, enough of a, a carrot to keep us moving forward. Curious what you guys think, and as always, thanks and take care.